Good evening. I'm Fiona Mountford, theatre critic of the Evening Standard, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here for this Bow Stratagem platform. My guest tonight will be increasingly familiar to you all. Previously at The National, he has directed Strange Interlude, and this year, Man and Superman, starring Ray Fiennes. <laughs> More round of applause down there. Oh, love after these two epic endeavours, he has at last been allowed to do a comedy. At last year, he made a sparkling debut at the RSC with The Two Gentlemen of Verona, and he's about to go to the Globe for Richard II, and he is, of course, Simon Godwin. Welcome. Oh, <laughs> And just before we start, sorry, I, we can't see you very well, but perhaps we could have the house lights up just temporarily. Perhaps we might have a show of hands. Who's seen... Ah, hello. Oh, Who's wow. seen the production already? Mm. Okay, and who's seeing it later on in the run or tonight, maybe? Oh, oh okay, fine. Thanks very much. That's useful to know. Okay, so, Simon, seriously, after two such immense plays as Strange Interlude and Man and Superman, did you plead with Nick Heitner and or Rufus Norris to do a comedy? Um, well, I suppose, yes. I had the experience of directing two plays that were traditionally deemed to be very serious yeah. um, and managed to find some jokes in them. <laughs> And um, so, in a way, it felt like the next step would be to try and take a play that was, in quotation marks, funny. Yes. And, uh, and maybe even, in a way, try and find what was not funny in it, um, as well as trying to understand better the science of comedy. Okay. Um, and I guess what struck me about Farquhar's writing was that it did sort of blend the two. Yes. Um, there was a, a political message to it, but there was also a lot of comic archetypes. Um, yes. And I think there's probably quite a lot of... Um, comic traditions that Farquhar was engaged with and was in a way establishing which 20th century comic writing yes. has somehow been in dialogue with. Okay. So prior to working on this project, what were your exposure levels to the Bow Stratagem? Did you know it well? Had you seen it performed before? Um, I'd never seen it um, and um, I guess those plays that I've never seen are always very intriguing. Yes. Um, and actually, I was conscious that I didn't really know very many plays from the Restoration period, okay. or indeed the late Restoration. Yes. Um, but that I had a, a memory of when I was a teenager going to the pit and seeing a play called The Virtuoso okay. by Thomas Shudwell, which I mm -hmm. think is uh, about 16th, late 17th century, directed by Phyllis Lloyd, yeah. and having a very, well, just a very exciting time there, a kind of right. visceral, kind of quite sexy, enjoyable pulsating night at the theatre. Yes. And so that always left a memory for me of those kind of plays. Okay. And a curiosity about whether I could go back and find one. Yeah. And take it out of the shelf, take it out of the cupboard and <laughs> yes. try and Dust bring it, it back off. to life. Yeah. So on the whole, I mean, do you, did you, do you find restoration comedies funny? Well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, what was certainly daunting was the sense that... Um, to go back to those first two, the O'Neill and the, and the Shaw, was that yes. we were all very respectful and we just got on with you know, telling the truth as we kind of saw it. And then there were moments accidentally when we found ourselves laughing a little bit. Yes. Then, of course, you realise that once uh, you are doing a show on which the flyer says something like a wild comedy of <laughs> oh, that, cash, that, yes. that there's a pressure in the room from really the first day of yeah. going, we need to be funny. Yes. And... The challenge for all of us in needing to be funny is often when you're trying to be funny is when you're least funny. Yes, of course. Um, and when you're trying to be somehow true or 
genuine or to care about something in extremists, yes. that's often when the audience laugh at you most easily. Yes. So with a company, I found this image of a kind of seduction, if you like, which is that if one's arm is too obviously going round the person who you're seeking mm. to win the affections of, yes. they tend to, of course, withdraw. Yeah. And so our strategy of being too overtly funny, we realized in the room, had rather that effect on yeah. those watching. And yet, as Patrick Marber said to me, who worked on the script with me, the other dangerous Simon is it can be so true that it's not funny at all. Yeah. Uh, but it just becomes this rather earnest <laughs> yes. account. And, of course, George Farquhar, the stuff that we know about his kind of theatre yeah. was that it was a very carnivalesque, yeah. lively, vaudevillian adventure, yes. which would have had no hesitation about being bold and outrageous and, yeah. and, in quotation marks, funny. But did you find yourself laughing in rehearsals? I mean, or the actors were rehearsing a scene or working on a scene, you find yourself suddenly thinking, oh, I'm really amused by that. Or were you did you know you were going to be amused? Did you all worked on it so carefully, I'm going to be amused in a minute now? Well, I was amused when I first read it. Okay. Um, and um, I think that the great, uh, great challenge of the rehearsal room is that you're faced with this highly unusual situation of watching a scene uh, again and again <sighs> Yes. And again, and again, and again. <laughs> and the longer your rehearsal period, of course, the more you are shown that yes. scene. So, I mean, like all of us, you might laugh the first time you see it. You <laughs> might laugh the second time. You might sort of smile the third time. But by the fourth time, I mean, you are just, I mean, trying to support the actors through it. And inevitably, it works that in a rehearsal room, the whole community, as they become more and more familiar, uh, laughs much less. So there's a moment when you're just desperate for an audience. Yes on the basis that you're desperate to show it to somebody that hasn't seen it before, uh, who can, as it were, return the state that you were in at the beginning, which is a kind of fresh surprise. Yeah. And I suppose surprise is probably very related to what we laugh at. It's often sympathy and surprise that unlocks humour, yeah. perhaps. We'll come on to the specifics of the play, obviously, in a minute, but generally, what do you think is the enduring appeal of restoration comedy to 21st century audiences? There's a handful, the recruiting officer, for example, that are pretty continually revived. Why do you think we, we still like them so much? Well, I, I, I think they're, they have, on the whole, really great language. Yes. Uh, they're rich and they're uh, poetic. And for me, it was fascinating that Farquhar is an Irishman. Right, yes. So, um, working on the shore, and indeed working on the O'Neill, where you have an American oh, Irishman course, yes. who was influenced by Shaw. And then you go back and you meet Farquhar, who was influencing both of them. An Irishman in England commenting on British manners, on yes. English manners. So there's real love of poetic, charged yes. words in the case of Farquhar. And also, I think it is to do with this visceral, strong desires. Everyone has a very clear wish yes. and will fight uh, to get it. Yes. And I think um, somebody wrote about uh, some kind of trace of faulty towers lying inside the oh, yeah. Bose stratagem. And I feel like the crazed sort of, innkeeper. Like slightly crazed innkeeper <laughs> yes. trying to run a hotel that yes. would later become Basel Faulty. Um, <laughs> yes. But there's something uh, adrenalized and highly energized about yes. these comic structures, right. which it feels like still remain current in a way. And, okay. uh, and then, of course, you have amazing speeches. Like there's one bit where Mrs. Sullen is. Um, advising a woman how to cure her husband's sore leg. Yes. Those of you that have seen it might remember this bit, and she suggests sawing the leg off and um, putting herbs in it and then baking it in the oven for three hours. <laughs> and it's a kind of quirky humour, yes. which is um, unexpected from 1707, and yet uh, um, yes. it's very much for the part of Farquhar's 
quirky imagination. So you said the language is obviously beautiful and I think restoration comedy can often be very quotable. I mean, I was very taken with the line, damn your raptures. I think that's, uh, that's rather good. What's your favourite line of the play? Oh dear, I knew. Oh, so. no. I sort of felt that question coming as you started <laughs> off your... Uh, um, yes, I, I, it's so strange for me because I'm so inside a play yeah, that you see every day for so long and all through the previews. And then now I'm in the third week of Richard II rehearsals. So oh, suddenly, course. all I can see is the text of Richard II yes, appearing at of me. Yes, of course. But uh, I shall come back to that question later on when I've found a possible example. So what, with an overview of the production, what was the single biggest challenge that this production presented you with? Well, the, the thing we realised about the play um, was that when I suggested doing it to Rufus Norris and to Ben Power, they read the play and said, yes, it sounds a good project to embark on and then I got together with some actors to read it right. and what we discovered when we read it was that um, Farquhar was dying when he was yes, writing it. he died just a couple of weeks after it opened. Exactly didn't he? Yeah. so he died at 30 um, and in fact he writes a rather touching preface to the play which is which says something like I'm really sorry for the faults in the play but I hope the actors will make up for it. Um, so he was very conscious that this was a very much a first draft. Right. And if you read the original, what I think is clear is that he was becoming less and less focused as he was going. <laughs> okay. So characters disappear, uh, storylines become rather hastily resolved or not resolved at all. So as we were reading it, and it's so funny with a play, you only really get a sense of what a play, how the play is when you hear it out loud, despite yeah. trying to read it yourself as carefully as you can. So I had a slight one of those moments we all know in life of your, <clears throat> the sort of panic <laughs> Um, we're going to do this. <laughs> it's going to be on in the Olivier. It's programmed. Yeah. And I've just had my reading, of which there are some quite obvious flaws. <laughs> right. Uh, and I can't really... It would be just dis disingenuous for me to go into Rufus's office and go, um, yeah, the play's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I went into the office and said, I think it's, it's wonderful sections, but I do think we, we do need to, to think about, seriously, the editing of the play and right. helping it out a bit. And then, very fortu fortuitously, I got an email from Patrick Marber about something else and at the end of the email he said oh very excited to hear you're doing the Bow stratagem one of my favorite plays uh -huh. i was scrub the servant in a production at oxford as an undergraduate yeah so then i thought Funny. maybe this could save me <laughs> so i found rufus and i said rufus look um there's some challenges with the play uh but there is a but there is a but there is a writer uh, <laughs> Patrick Marber who who really likes the play and I was wondering whether he could possibly join me in trying to rectify some of the problems or yes. challenges. So Patrick got involved and then we spent a well we spent a very long time trying to go through it really carefully cutting it, adapting, readapting, altering little bits, uh, putting in a few different jokes. Um, putting in some bits at the end that we sort of explored, yeah. but all the time realising that we had to do that very exquisitely and very carefully, yes, so that, of course, like any restoration, yeah. you weren't aware of the patina of the present. It seemed integrated into Farquhar's. So restoring the restoration comedy a little bit. That's okay. right. Oh. Um, but how much did you edit? How, that's interesting. Did you...? Well, I think we've probably cut about a fifth or a fifth of the play okay. has gone. It's much... Again, it's, I seem to be drawn to these plays that are very long. Yeah. And, um, yes. and I suppose, again, in Restoration <laughs> Theatre in 1707, if you went to see a play, I, the kind of current contemporary anxiety, which is, 
please let it be as short as possible when we get, you know, I feel like when I used to work at the Royal Court and I would say to people as they arrived, it's an hour long. Yeah. Great. <laughs> there would be this sort of elation in their face. And equally doing the show when I broke it to people, yes, it's, it is three hours and 40 minutes. People were just so sad inside. So, but I get the sense then that they would be delighted to spend an evening at the theatre. You know, yes, it, yeah. it was a big evening's entertainment and they weren't perhaps in such a hurry to get Did away. Did they still just have one interval? I think they had two. Did they? Okay. So, so um, and there would have been songs and adventures. So, so um, and even despite our cuts, when we first started previewing, the show was coming in at, I think, two hours and 50 minutes, creeping towards the three-hour mark. Yeah. So, it's like, so we made more cuts in the previews. And now, to the people who sing it tonight, it, it runs at? Um, I think about two hours and 38 minutes. Just roughly 38. Okay, yeah, good. Right. You can time that tonight. If it's 2.39, yes, right. you know who to... You know. So the production, as I think we all know, is part of the Travel X £15 ticket series. Now, does that make any difference at all to the way you've thought about it? Um, or where you've staged it? Obviously, because it, it will hopefully mean that some people who might not otherwise have sampled this sort of drama will give it a go. Is that something you bore in mind, or you just you did the best production you could and mm. that was just a separate issue? Well, another reason I think why I was attracted to the play is that it is very popular. Yeah. I mean, it is written as a very open, popular, celebratory play, which I think we've tried to make very accessible and very exuberant. Yeah. So the idea of doing something that benefited or suited the public yes. theatre that we're in yeah. and the fact that it's also at a rate to allow as many different people to come as possible yeah. was part of our agenda in selecting that play. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is that the budgets are different. I mean, they are related oh, to... Uh, is it a lesser mm, production budget for Travelers? Uh, yeah, I think it's like... A, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tweak, exactly. Yeah. So sure. one has to think a bit more inventively yeah. about how one solves those things, mm -hmm. those challenges. Sure. So for me, part of the pleasure was, in a way, every restriction was also an opportunity. Sure. So to think about how we could most adroitly move from as you'll see when you watch the play, there's two spaces, there's the inn and there's the house. Yes. So we had to move very quickly between both. Yeah. And I did suddenly have a great fear that there would be a revolving mechanism that would every time we'd have to change it. Yeah. There's no revolve, is there? In so the there's no revolve. No. We were trying to evolve a system whereby we could make those transitions within yeah. seconds. Sure. Um, which... You will, you will watch and enjoy it. You tonight. can decide whether we have managed that or not. <laughs> so this play, as, as those of you who've seen it before or have read it will know, it contains some pioneering, almost proto-feminist arguments in favour of divorce and women's rights. So is that something you, you discussed a lot with the actors during rehearsals? Can you tell us a little bit mm. about that? This is another thing that, sorry, just keep returning to the question that you asked me earlier about why. Yes. Um, I think there's quite rightly a lot of discussion about parts for women. Yes. Um, in our culture of yeah. theatre culture. And here, um, Farquhar had written this wonderful part yeah. for Mrs. Sullen, yes. which Maggie Smith played. Of course, um, yeah. Uh, however long ago. And then Brenda Blethyn played when it was last here. Yeah. So um, this question of a central female protagonist yeah. was really interesting for me. And the sense that she was saying something. Um, when at the time, so I understand that divorce was possible only through the Houses of Parliament. And it had only been, I was reading about that this morning, it had only been granted five times? Yeah, or yeah, it was, yes, yeah. yeah. So it was a massive taboo yes. at the highest level. Yeah. So here, uh, somebody talking about divorce being something which could be decided <coughs> not by the government, yeah. but by your own community. Yes. And actually, I think what jury can sum up the aversions of the heart uh, is one of Mrs. Allen's lines. So obviously, it's interesting for me doing a play in period as well. Because when I did the Bernard Shaw, for example, we did it in contemporary clothes yes. because I felt it needed that 
movement into the now. But with Farquhar in his world of servants and schemes and yes. master-servant roles, it was very difficult to do that. So what you then have to do is to try and achieve this thing of what we called in the rehearsal room thinking in period. Okay. Which is how do we possibly step into the mindset of a world in which divorce was the absolute terrifying yeah. and impossible option. So yes, we did in the rehearsal room talk about those things and we did go to, and you do end up doing things like going to the National Gallery, to the Tate Britain, to yes. look at all the paintings of that period. You watch, we watched Barry Lyndon, the Stanley Kubrick film. We looked at poetry of the time. So anything that can try and help you step back into a world that's like our own, but not our own. Yes, sure. Now, let's, let's talk about the casting. Now, you've got some of the finest of the younger generation of British stage actors working for you here. You've got the likes of Geoffrey Stratfield, Susanna Fielding, Samuel Barnett. The, the bow themselves, those two gentlemen of broken fortune, Aimwell and Archer. Now, how do you ascertain before casting whether two actors who need to work together so closely as a pairing, as Aimwell and Archer do, are going to have the requisite chemistry? Mm. It's interesting. Um, it is a difficult thing to achieve yeah. and it's daunting as a director <laughs> to, to to try and if you like uh, going back to my idea of the seduction of blind dating yes. people yeah uh, I mean the, when in Man and Superman Rafe and I met Indira together yes so as to see whether that chemistry yes would actually be there in the before we even started if you like yes to road test that yeah um but what I think in a way with the, I, I felt maybe because it wasn't a kind of, if you like, a sexual chemistry, yeah. um, it might be easier to cast two friends, two brothers, okay. if you like. And also because they have such a relationship based on both fondness and frustration. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. It would be a slightly more permissive okay. um, vessel, if you like. Yes. And also I knew that I needed people who had experience of a relatively big stage. Yeah. And I also needed to actors who could have some degree of comic timing. Yes, yeah. And lastly, who could handle this language, which, although at times they make it very easy to understand, is on the page very dense. Yeah, sure. And, and, can, you so, and can you tell us a little about the casting of Dorinda and Mrs. Sun? I guess the same kind of idea, two people, let's say, less, less, less comedy there, but two people, mm. do, they have to, do they have to get on, or does it not matter, they're good? Did you try them out together separately? Mm. How does that work? I didn't try them out separately before. Okay. But I guess what, when you're asking me this question, I'm realizing that so much of my job in the room, in the rehearsal room, yeah. is to create an atmosphere sure. in which everybody does get on. Right. I mean, obviously, I don't really know what they're thinking, but um, <laughs> yes. I, I try and create, uh, through games and exercises, yeah. a sense of trust. Okay. So sure. that when they come onto the stage, you as an audience aren't going, you know what, I really did, I really. I think they didn't really like each other. Yeah, that's not um, what you want to be thinking. But that they seem like jugglers or acrobats in a kind of coordination with each other. Sure. Emotionally, physically, psychologically. Yes. So in a way, you almost have to go, they may not get on in life. Yeah. But what matters to me is whether they get on in the room. Of course. And I suppose I'm lucky enough that I think they do get on in life, Dorinda and Mrs. Allen. 
But in a way, the priority is, is that room. on stage. Well, you mentioned when we were talking about the editing, um, about you had some read-throughs of, of the text before. And a, and some, a couple of people have said to me, oh, when you do platforms, you never ask directors the really interesting question about the workshop process mm. that happens with a lot of plays at the National. So <laughs> workshops that take place before rehearsals <laughs> proper start. So I know, I think you did some for Man and Superman. Mm. So th this read-through you did for, uh, for this play, how was that over a day, a week? What's, what was that kind of pre-rehearsal process? Mm. you engaged in? Well, the reading was just a day. Okay. Um, so people got the play beforehand and we just invited some actors that had worked here, you know, were sort of national theatre stalwarts, as it were, to come in and, and do that reading. Yeah. Um, and that's when we realised the strengths and weaknesses. And then we just, I mean, I just spent a long time in Patrick's flat in Farringdon, <laughs> which was like a kind of prolonged workshop yes. where we would uh, read it, change, alter, read it again, alter back, put back what we left out. <laughs> take out what we put back. I mean, it was just this kind of sifting. So who was Aimwell process. and who was Archer? Oh, I was always Aimwell. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So, um, so there's some delightful music in the production. Mm. Folk song style, those of you who've seen it will know banjos and musicians popping up all over the place. Can you talk us through the choices you made for the music? Well, I mean, I think that Farquhar always envisaged music as having a big part of the show. Mm -hmm. And he stipulates that Archer sings a song about a trifle. Um, Archer being one of the kind of, those of you who haven't seen it, is one of the kind of tricksters who, is, um, who sings a song to win the heart of this lady, Mrs. Sullen. And, and uh, Farquhar says he sings a song about a trifle. We spent quite a lot of time in rehearsals, of course, trying to find a way of saying trifle that you don't think he's going to sing a song about a creamy pudding. <laughs> but, uh, so that was sort of became a, an intonation process. Um, and actually, Farquhar writes the lyrics. It's a okay. very, very long song about okay. a trifle. Um, and then he says at the end of the play, they should do the dance to the song of the trifle. So he had a kind of agenda about that. Yeah. I, in trying to do the play in period, which we are, I also felt that we had to find bridges between you as a contemporary audience and that 18th century style. Yeah. Partly having a set, as you can see, that's a little bit more, yeah. if you like, abstract <laughs> than you might expect. And partly to trying to find a musical palette yes. which could have a faint resonance of yeah. today. Yes. Of, I, don't, I, mean, I was listening to the Fleet Foxes or this kind of slightly American yes. country folk style, yeah. which of course had its roots in Britain, indeed in Ireland, where Farquhar's yes. from. So we felt like there was enough justification sure. to link it all the way back to his time, but enough of a little thrill that we might feel we weren't watching a museum piece, yes, exactly. but something um, fresh. Yeah. And then we had this big question mark about where to put the band. Oh, yeah. um, and when you do the um, preparation, um, Lizzie, the designer, of course, makes a scale model of the set. And we spent a long time looking at the small model of the set, thinking, should the band go there, or here, or there, or there? Um, and then we realized there were going to be a great deal of transitions that we'd have to somehow construct. So we suddenly thought, oh dear, but how are we, it's gonna be hard enough moving the tables around, let alone the poor band having <laughs> yeah. to step over here and then there. But we also felt like it was important that you saw the band, because yeah. obviously the option that you just stick them behind, you know, out of view, as is often the case in contemporary productions now of classical work. But I felt for the atmosphere, we had to stay in touch with them. So that's what led us to occasionally, or beginning the evening, with a musician on stage, mm. and then using the, um, what they call the ashtrays, the which ash is these spaces trays. over here where the... Why are they called the ashtrays? I think because they look a bit like an ashtray, oh, okay. or this little square. <laughs> so the band lived there. But then as we were going actually through the, um, 
technical rehearsals in the theatre, we suddenly thought, well, actually, maybe it's quite fun to keep a kind of um, a dialogue going yes, between yeah. the band there and then the band here. Yes. So that's what led, for those of you who've seen it, to the um, presence of the band. And those of you who haven't seen it, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll see. enjoy that. Watch out for that tonight. So share with us one thing you've learned doing this production. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We can come back to that if you Well, like. no, it's a great question. I, I suppose that um, there's something about extreme choices that are liberating, okay. and that this kind of material really asks you to be very bold. Right. Because actually you can't do big comic gestures half-heartedly. No. Because it, I suppose what's frightening about comedy is the feedback you get from the audience is so stark. <laughs> yes. Which is that if you think you're doing something funny and you've told the actors beforehand, this is brilliant, this is, this is, this is comedy gold, <laughs> and that they walk on and deliver it, it's death. <laughs> There's no way I can go, well, I think it did work. Um, <laughs> it's just that it, you know, it needs a few more goes. Um, or they were laughing inside, or whatever. <laughs> All the phrases that I might be able to use with O'Neill or something like that. Um, so yes, uh, courage is all. Current, good, yeah. Now you've mentioned Farker uh, sort of left some bits undone and some bits not quite finished. But if you could have had him in the rehearsal room with you, what would you have asked him? Well, I think I would have asked him many questions uh, okay. through. Oh. What does a line mean? Do you know what I mean? Very detailed. Any things. more sort of bigger, sort of bigger vision question rather than where's this character gone? It's funny because I suppose it was so interesting and intense and so helpful working with a dramatist yes. who was Patrick, yes. who was a writer who I admired such a lot and had such a great grasp of the comic and the serious, that I suppose what happened was, as those questions appeared, I would always You'd ask him. share them with him. Yes. And that was a real pleasure yeah. because you're always trying to search for the writer in the room, yeah. whether they're alive or dead. Sure. And so Patrick would be the sort of totem pole <laughs> by which I could achieve that. He was the Farker stand-in. So yeah. I, my final question then, we've both mentioned your production of Richard II opens at the Globe next month, but directors obviously have to start thinking about their next production, particularly the casting, the design, while they're still working on the current one. Mm. So do you find it easy to keep all your various projects straight and separate in your head, or was there a point where Richard II was kind of about to start playing the banjo on top of the stage here? Mm, mm. Do you find, do you, do you get overwhelmed by that? Or are you very good at kind of, that's this one, that's... Well, I, I, I think I've already exposed myself in a way, Fiona, because when you asked me my favourite line from the Bow Strategy, my confessional, I could think of Richard II. So <laughs> in a way, it, one does inevitably uh, come into the forefront of one's mind. And it is difficult. Yeah. I mean, when I was rehearsing the Bow Strategy, yes, I was casting Richard II in the evening. Sure. And I was even casting a play that I'm going to do next year. Wow. So you're having to be quite tough with yourself mm. about the division of attention. Sure. But also trying to allow yourself to become engulfed in yeah. a play because you, it feels like every play, like a relationship, needs total obsession, total mm, marriage in order to properly flourish. Yes, of course. So it's always... Um, Yes, it's like a Zen challenge. How can I be sort of with the... In the moment. In the yeah. moment, and yet simultaneously preparing for the next moment. Well, look, 
is so much here we could talk about, but I'm sure many of you are keen to have a glass of wine before you watch the actual play now. So we're going to have to wrap things up. So all that remains for me to do is to thank you all very much for coming, and of course to thank our guest, Simon Godwin. Thank you.